You're listening to the podcast of Antioch East Baptist Church in Magnolia, Arkansas. This is Pastor Ron Owen. We're so glad that you've joined us today. If you have any comments or inquiries, you can send those to us at aebc123 at me.com. Let's stand together and turn in our Bibles, if you would, to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. Now, I spent uh, yesterday evening frying a turkey. The smell of it still lingers in my nose. I know what awaits us. So I'm going to be brief this morning, as brief as I can be. Amen. But I don't want us to miss this today. Any member that's not here today, you need to encourage them to listen to the podcast or listen to it on Facebook. Let's read beginning in verse 6 again. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. The reason Israel is not believing, they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called that is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. Just because you're born in a Baptist pew don't make you a Christian. You might have been born in a bread box, but that don't make you a biscuit. The children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise, at this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election, according to his own sovereign choice, according to unconditional election, might stand not of works, but of him who calls. Now that's the subject of this whole chapter is right there, wrapped up in verse 11. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? There's the first question we've already dealt with. Is God unfair? God's unfair. Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. That's uh, the, the Greek behind that is no, no, never, not in a million years. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills or of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, for this very purpose I've raised you up, that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills and whom he wills he hardens. Now this is where we start our study today, okay? So pay attention, this is our text verse. You will say to me then, here's the second question, object, uh, uh, the uh, uh, objection to the premise that God elects and chooses and has mercy on whom he wills. He says, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who has resisted his will? But indeed, O oh man, who are you to reply against God? 
will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel of honor and another for dishonor? What if God wanted to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called, even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Well, let's get with it. You may be seated, and may God add the blessing to the reading of his word. Now, I'm going to go quickly. In our text, we have the second question of the presumed inquirer. In other words, Paul's been doing this through the whole book. He sets up this invisible inquirer to teach his lessons. He says, I know what you're about to say. I know what you're going to say. Shall we sin that grace may abound? And of course he says again, never, no, not in a million years. That's not what I'm saying. And he does this all. There's several of them we've covered. Well, he does it here. Paul even indicates that he is preempting the questions that he knows will be asked or the arguments that he will give. Look what it says in verse 19. You will say to me, I know what you're going to say. Anytime I ever get into somebody wants to talk about the subject of sovereign election, every time I get into it, I guarantee you these two questions are going to come up. That's not fair or that's just fatalism. That's just fatalism. I'm going to get to that in a minute. Why does he still find fault for who has resisted his will? If God uh, uh, decrees everything that's going to happen and when it happens, he judges us, why in the world does he find fault? And that's the question we look at today. This section of Scripture is a series of questions, by the way. Did you notice that? Every verse that we just read from verses 8 to 19 to 24 is a question. Look at verse 19. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? Verse 19, for who resists his will? Verse 20, but indeed, O man, who are you who replies against God? Question mark. Verse 20, will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Question mark. Verse 21, does not the potter have power of the clay? Uh, and one to dishonor, I skipped it down the end. To dishonor? Question mark. What if God wanted to show his and to make his power known. Now skip down to verse 24. Even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. It's a question mark. And so he has this question and he answers it with questions. Now we're going to group these six questions into four. One actual inquiry and then three answers. And these answers use a method uh, of asking logical questions. I'm only going to cover one, I believe, today. We'll see, okay? Uh, number one, now we're studying the Word of God. Keep your Bible open. On the back of your bulletin is a place to take notes. If you want to throw them away later, that's fine. But I want you to pay attention and try to learn what God is saying in these verses. Very important. We see a question of absurdity. The question is absurd, and we know that by the way he responds to it, but that's the question. Verse 19, look at it again. Verse 19 says, You will say to me then, Why does he still find fault for who has resisted his will? And usually when that's asked, it's with hands thrown up and exasperation and disbelief. And it's exactly the same here. 
Now, are you listening to me? It's the exact same here. We hear it all the time, even today when we talk about this subject. When discussing the subject of God's sovereignty and man's salvation, two questions always arise. This is what they'll say. That doesn't seem fair. Don't individuals have free will? It doesn't seem fair that God chooses some and he doesn't choose others. This is what Paul was addressing in verse 14 and 15. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Is he unfair? And then Paul goes on and he shows why he's not unfair in doing it. He doesn't say, no, no, you're mistaking me. He says, you got me right, but here's why that's not unfair. And you'll have to go listen to my other sermon about that. But in our instance today, it's, they're saying, isn't that fatalism? I guarantee you some of you here today who may not even agree with me yet on this or at one time didn't, I guarantee you that's one of the arguments you brought against it. That's fatalism. What will be, will be. This is the question we are looking at. Paul's uh, 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 one, uh, the one Paul anticipates. Why does he still find fault for his resistance will? They ask the equivalent of what people ask today about it. Does this mean that we're just a bunch of robots? And I've watched pe- preachers squirm trying to answer that. Paul doesn't squirm. You know what Paul says? You ought to shut your mouth. That's what Paul says, basically. Who are you? to question God. And by the way, if God wants everybody to be robots, does he not have the right to do that? What's wrong with that? I don't think that's the answer to this, but what would be wrong with that? He's God. He's God. But I'm going to talk about it. And I'm going to let the text answer the question for itself. But if Paul was not teaching, now listen to me. Listen to me. Some of you may be on the fence of agreeing with me on this. If Paul was not teaching unconditional sovereign grace election, why would he even bring up these questions? They mean nothing if this is not what Paul is trying to say. They mean nothing. So let's get to question number two, a question of attitude. A question of attitude. Are you with me? Say amen. amen. Paul's response is not, well, now, now, listen, I, I, now, I'm going to tell you, no, you don't understand it. No, Paul's, question, Paul's answer is a rebuke. William Hendrickson says the answer rebukes the question. I love this. Now, listen. Now, he, this is a theologian of theologians. This is a man of great dignity. Listen to what he says. The answer rebukes the questioner for his impudence and for his Im, imbecility. Imbecile, being an imbecile. And his shamelessness and for his senselessness. The objector calls in question God's justice and is therefore impudent and arrogant. He forgets that if that which is molded has no right that he forgets that that if that which is molded has no right to say to its molder why have you made me like this then all the more human beings have no right thus to address their sovereign maker the objector is stupid <laughs> It's like uh, spitting in the wind pulling on superman's cape 
messing with Big Bad John. And that was his name? Leroy Brown. Big Bad Leroy Brown. I'm sorry. Big Bad Leroy Brown. The younger ones, you don't understand that either. I know. You go look it up on the internet lady, later. <laughs> Isaiah 29, 16 says, Surely, now listen to this. Surely you have things turned around. Shall the potter be esteemed as the clay? See, that's what man tries to do today. Make God like them. That's what man has tried to do since the garden. Bring God down to our level. And we think that God has to do what we have to God has to do it the way we want it because we're boss. See, we even bring God lower than us because we think God ought to do it the way we want it to be done. And what we are is like little bitty five-year-olds shaking their fist at an MM at a, at a boxer, a heavyweight boxer. And that's a poor example the finite, shaking their fist into the face of the infinite. Surely you have things turned around. Shall the potter be esteemed as the clay? For shall the thing made say to him who made it, he did not make me. See, that's what, well, well if, God, you know, if that's the God you believe, I don't believe in God. He didn't make me. I miraculously appeared. I am the product of, of a one-celled oozing organism that slimed out of the sea. It takes more faith to be an evolutionist than a creationist. Or shall the thing formed say to him who formed it, he has no understanding. You know, aren't you thinking, let me tell you something, you grown men, you grown women, if a little five-year-old came up and started trying to beat you up, hitting you on the legs... I think there's a couple of teachers here who know what that's all about. I mean, would you kick them in the face? You could. You could take their arm and break it just by doing that. You could pound their head against the wall. They're nothing to you. Can you imagine every time you questioned God and gritted your teeth, God, how can you do this? Hating God. Thank God every time we do that, He does not respond in anger and wrath it is we who have no understanding of who we are that's the first problem he says as much in verse 20 who are you to answer against God who are you now listen to how he describes us oh man say so what, what about it oh human thing created thing, mere fallen humanity? Do you know that before you come to Christ, all you are is sin? Your flesh and everything that you decide is decided by a fleshly mind and a fleshly heart. Oh, you may think it's good, but it's for your own purposes, not for love of God. Verse 20, he calls us the thing formed. <laughs> the thing just like trees just like animals we are a created thing now we are created in the image of God we forget that but we act like we're not we act like animals the clay we're the clay you know what clay is dirt and water yay for you and me huh 
I like verse 21 also says we're just part of the lump. You're not bread. You're not a pot or a dish. You're a lump until God makes something of you. You're nothing but a lump. And he says we are vessels. And he makes vessels. He can make some for good and he can make some for bad. He can do whatever he wants. He can have mercy on who he wants to. He can have compassion. And whoever he doesn't want to have compassion, mercy, he can. Why? Because he's holy and you are sinful. Well, God owes everybody a chance. God doesn't owe anybody anything. You've broken every one of his commandments. You've broken every one of his uh, 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 testaments, his uh, covenants. We saw that last time. You're the one who sits in danger. It is he who, it is we who have no understanding of, secondly, who God is. We don't know God. We don't understand. He says, your ways are not my ways. My ways are higher than your ways. You think you're all together like me. You're nothing like me. I see the end from the beginning. It is not your will that happens. It is my will that happens. And my will ought to happen. You know why? Because I've always been righteous. I've always been right. I've always been good. It is not arrogance for God to claim all worth, glory, and honor. You know why? He deserves it. He said, well, don't I deserve something for me and my choices? Let me tell you something. Your choices are, uh, the Bible says man has his decisions made and he thinks he has a path, but it is God that lays down the path. Let me ask you something. When you chose to be born in Magnolia or wherever you were born, when you chose that, uh, what was the deciding factor on your choice? See what I mean? Why weren't you born in Iran? Why weren't we born in Hawaii? Head gummit. Why weren't we why weren't we born in Afghanistan or Russia? Or somewhere where God is not and, and the Bible is hated and Christianity is outlawed. No, you were born in the Bible, but you were born in the buckle of the Bible belt. You were born in a city, if you're from Magnolia, where there is a church, a good church, nearly on every corner. Some of you were born nearly in this church. What a privilege. What a blessing. What a gracious gift from God. I've got to go quickly. In verses 14 and 18, God is referred to. Now listen to this. God is referred to, oh man. 14 times. He's referred to 14 times in verses 14 through 24. And, and no, excuse me, in verses 14 through 18, he is referred to 14 times. In our immediate text of six verses, God is referred to 13 times. In verses 14 through 24, God is referred to no less than 27 times in 16 verses. I would dare say that the object and subject of these verses is God, not you, not me. He is described as the sole and sovereign creator. He is the potter. You listening to me? Stay with me now. He is the potter. We're fixing to read a bunch of scriptures that I'm finished nearly. I want you to follow along with me. Follow along with Riley. You going to put them up here? Okay, they skip around. You saw that, didn't you? She's going to put them up here. I want everybody to watch so we're all reading the same words. This is the New King James Version. 
Job 38.1 says this, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? By the way, Job was a righteous, holy, godly man. But his everything he had was taken away from him. All ten of his children were killed in one day. All of his riches were taken away in one day. His wife turned against him. The little children that used to love him turned against him. His body, God let Satan touch his body and he had sore boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet so bad it felt better to him to take a broken piece of pottery and scrape off the infections off of his body. Can you imagine? This is where he was. And Job just finally gives in and he says God gives and God takes away blessed be the name of the Lord why should we get take good from God and not the uh, trouble from God but he gets worn down of course and says you know I'd just like to know why that's all that Job did you may say well God sure overkilled him here well wait a minute I'll tell you about it in the end as far as his getting back at him who are you who who uh, by words without knowledge. Now prepare yourself like a man. This is God talking to Job. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Have you commanded, verse 12, have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? God has done every one of them. Verse 16, have you entered the springs of the sea or have you walked in search of the depths? Have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the doors of the shadow of death? Have you comprehended the breadth of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. What God is saying is, I do know it. Verse, 30, verse 19, where is the way to the dwelling of light? Do you know that, Job? And darkness, where is its place that you may take it to its territory, that you may know the path of its home? Do you know it because you were born then or because the number of your days is great? Verse 28, has the rain a father? Or who has begotten the drops of dew? From where, from whose womb comes the ice and the frost of heaven? Who gives it birth? I do, Job. That's what he's saying. Verse 31, can you bind the cluster of Pleiades or loose the belt of Orion? Can you bring out Maseroth in its season or can you guide the great bear with its cubs? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you set their dominion over the earth? Job, are you the one that put the stars in space? How dare you answer against the God who created the stars? Verse 40, chapter 40, verse 1. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? He who rebukes God, let him answer it. In verse 40, verse 6, it says, I think that's right. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Is that it? Yes. I did. Verse... Uh, 
Okay, let's go on with that one. Then the Lord answered Job by the whirlwind and said, Now prepare yourself like a man. I'll question you, and you shall answer me. Would you indeed know my judgments? Would you condemn me that I, you may be justified? Have you an arm like God? Or can you thunder with a voice like his? Then adorn yourself with majesty and splendor and array yourself with glory and beauty. Disperse the rage of your wrath. Look on everyone who is proud and humble him and humble him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low. Tread down the wicked in their place. Hide them in their dust together. Bind their faces in hidden darkness. Then I will also confess to you that your own right hand can save you you can't do any of this look now verse 15 look now at the behemoth hey here's something uh, you people that learn from your public school that evolution is true and the dinosaurs died before creation that's not true here's Job who was after the flood and here we have described uh, dinosaurs now listen he answered Job out of the world how would they know about this this book was written thousands and thousands of years ago and the Lord answered Job out of the world went. Well, I'm, let me, verse 15. Look now at the behemoth, which I'm, where, where am I? Okay, a behemoth, which I made along with you. The dinosaurs were made along with man. He eats grass like an ox. See how his strength is in his hips and his power is in his stomach muscles. He moves his tail like a cedar. This is not an elephant. His sinews and his thighs are tightly knit. His bones are like the beams of bronze. His ribs like bars of iron. He is the first of the ways of God. Only he who made him can bring near the sword. Uh, probably this big, the big long neck dinosaur, most likely who he's talking about. Sounds like it. Verse 1 of chapter 42. Can you draw out Leviathan? Here's one. With a hook. A sea creature. A, can you snare his tongue with the line which you lower? Can you put a reed through his nose or piece in his jaw with a hook? Will you make many supplications? Will he make many supplications to you? Will he speak softly to you? Will he make a covenant with you? Will you take him as a servant forever? Will you play with him as with a bird? Or will you leash him for, a, for your maidens? Will your com companions make a bank of him will they apportion him among the merchants can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears lay your hand on him remember the battle never do it again <laughs> I love that indeed any hope of overcoming him is false shall one not be overwhelmed at the sight of him no one is so fierce that he would dare stir him up who then is able to stand against me because I could take this Leviathan which was the mightiest of all sea creatures amazing nobody could touch him and I could split him in two I'm his creator Therefore, you think that you can come against him? You can't and you know it. Then how do you think you can stand against me, the God who created him, who has preceded me that I should pay him everything under heaven is mine? Job 42.1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, No, listen, this is how you ought to react today. 
Then Job said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You ask, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak, God. You said, I will question you and you shall answer me. Verse five, one of my favorite verses. I have heard of you with the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes seize you therefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes my friend that's the only response you ought to have to God is to fall before him in humble humble submission then what will God do if you do that he put his right hand upon me and said fear not for I'm the first and the last God is a gracious and a merciful God but he's a God of justice first Remember, everybody in this room is going to get what they have done, get repaid for it. Now, if you're a child of God, you know what? Your sins are going to be paid for too. But guess what? Jesus pays for them in his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. That's why you ought to come to God, humbling yourself and say, Oh, God, I'm a sinner. I've sinned. I have lied, I have cheated, I have, I have whatever your sin is and come to God and confess and throw yourself upon his mercy. And here's what the Bible says, whoever comes to God shall be saved. Now that's the truth. I believe in sovereign election. I believe it's all of God's plan. But here's the thing. If you want to prove me wrong and you think that you're not elected and you want to come to Jesus, do it. Come on to Jesus, Amen. Come on to Jesus. To question the actions and purposes and justice of God is foolish. Will the thing formed, it says, say to him who formed it, why have you made me thus? I'm going to end there. I have a lot of sermon left and we'll finish it next time. You say, Brother Ron, that has nothing to do with Thanksgiving. Really? You're breathing, aren't you? You're wearing nice clothes, aren't you? You're clothed. I mean, you, you, some, you look, you smell pretty good. Maybe you had a shower with running water in your house. What blessings. You, you, you don't have disease that's, that keeps you from coming to church. We have people that can't come today because of things. And you know why this is? The merciful grace of Almighty God has allowed you to come to this place today. You're going to eat some of the best turkey that you've ever eaten in your life if you get the right one. <laughs> You're going to eat the best potatoes. You're going to eat the best of dessert. You are going to... Miss Juan, did you make them... If I don't get one of those things, so help me. I'm going to preach two hours next time. God's been good. And you know, the problem is some of you think you deserve it. Really? You have sinned against the holy God. And like I said, he didn't laugh at the little silly things we laugh at the TV and about the sin and oh, well, that now my friend, God, listen, there is a hell and those who reject him are going there. That's what God thinks of sin. But the greatest, the greatest symbol that you can look at to show you how God hates sin is the cross of Jesus Christ. 
where he killed his own son for you, sacrificed him. My friend, God didn't turn his back on Jesus on the cross. He was throwing his wrath upon him on the cross. For the first time in eternity, the greatest love relationship that has ever been was separated because of you and me. Because of you and me. How dare you come any Sunday or wake up any day and it not be Thanksgiving Day to you. My friend today, if you say, Brother Ron, you're scaring me. Good. Good. You know, if you don't get scared, you'll let your hand burn on the stove. If you don't feel pain, you could get really hurt. Pain's good. Fear is good. You know? But fear in the right way. Fear God. You say, I don't want to. You don't have to fear God. If you come to him by faith, he will make you his child. He can do that because of the cross of Jesus. 